0: Sly as a fox, culture not pop, give him his props Here is a thought, here is a box And you cannot compare him at all, so don't even try Careful with the news, but when you use a take I take up Tony Fire, I mean Dire, Because anyone else is a huge mistake Whoa, fantasy round table Fantasy, fantasy round table Yeah, fantasy round table Come take a look at the crown, baby Hey, fantasy round table Fantasy, fantasy round table Whoa, fantasy round table Come take a look at the crown, baby Go
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. We are happy to be with you on Monday. It is draft week, uh, which is always a very exciting time. The NFL draft is on Thursday, in case you were not aware. It is coming right up. Uh, But before we dive into everything, I wanted to let you know we are proud members of the Pigskin Podcast Network, uh, so you can follow a lot of great shows on the network there. You can also find us on the Campus to Canton YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you have a chance, please leave us a review and a rating on your favorite podcast app. That really helps us get the word out, and we greatly appreciate it. But before we dive into a whole bunch of fun things, including a special guest, Scott Barrett, who just popped up there with us. Dennis, how is your Monday going?
2: Well, my Monday is going great. I got my Scott Fishbowl invite. We got Scott Barrett on the show. My brother Scott's birthday's in a couple of weeks. I'm just loaded up on Scott. And then we come Great out of the Scott. intro and Scott Barrett is gone. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened?
1: But he's back. It's the magic behind the scenes. And Matt will be with us uh, in a few minutes. He is uh, taking care of something else. But as mentioned, Scott Barrett from FantasyPoints.com is with us. You can find him on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB. Scott, thank you for being with us. Yeah no problem. Thanks
3: for having me guys.
1: So what's the DFB
2: stand for?
3: Uh, it stands for Dude Fantasy Bro, which was my original handle for years and I like just struggled in obscurity with like 200 followers for four years. and then uh, one day I, I changed it to Scott Barrett DFB and I gained 25,000 followers in like four months. So people didn't want to follow a Dude Fantasy bro, but uh, yeah, that's the origin story.
2: All right, right on. Maybe I'll have to try that with my culture underscore coach uh, one. <laughs> Though I do try to put my name in the in there, so it is, does show me. Uh, I don't know what part of the handle you call it, but culture coach might be uh, I think people just hate underscores. That might be my thing.
3: It it sounds like you're you're coaching people to be more cultured. Maybe right. that's the disconnect. That,
2: That was actually a job title I used to have. I was the culture coach when I worked uh, at Ohio State University in the campus dining services. That's really cool. My job was to make it a great place to work and where other schools and universities came to get their food
1: service professionals. And now it's carried over. You're just tackling fantasy culture. Right.
2: (laughs) Fantasy football is life.
1: Well, we did mention at the top it is draft week. Hopefully everybody is aware we're finally going to see where some of these prospects land so that we can start rookie drafts in earnest probably what around 705 p.m. on Saturday night is where when the first ones are going to kick off somewhere around when the live draft coverage ends. But Scott, what are you excited about with the drafts coming up? I just can't wait for it to happen. It's it's my Christmas.
3: Look forward to it every year. Just excited to see what happens and, and just watch and sit back and
1: fire off some tweets from my couch and my underwear. So, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. My favorite part of the whole draft experience is my wife asked me when the NFL draft, I was like, it starts Thursday. So on Saturday, she said, well, when we get home, we got to watch draft day so we can prep. <laughs> so we have to roll out. little uh, wish fulfillment for the Cleveland Browns. So... Uh, seems like there are a lot of rumors and stories that are kind of floating around out there are there any of them that you're taking serious any that you're completely discounting i saw a couple of interesting mock drafts including one from peter king today that had trayvon walker going uh, now number one to jacksonville
3: yeah i i'm not really a, a big source guy but but i'll get secondhand source material uh fairly often and so it's It's when I've heard things repeated uh, that'll perk my my ears up, uh, like the Falcons really liking Drake London, um, George Pickens having serious off-the-field concerns that could cause him to fall to round three or beyond. And then, of course, a few days ago, he's involved in that that car accident where the driver was arrested and he was the passenger, Uh, and just different things like that um, that that it's not going to play a role in my rankings, but, uh, and I can't bet in Texas, but on the draft, but if I could, you know, I'd I'd probably hammer that George Pickens over and and things of that nature.
2: Man, you'd, you'd think in Texas that betting would be just fine. You can do just about everything. there.
3: Yeah. I moved here from New Jersey and it's, it's like the only thing, uh, that new jersey has has on it that and better pizza and uh, and better bagels
2: right so with, with the now do you follow the draft for mostly fantasy relevant positions or are you real interested in you know the defensive linemen the offensive linemen their impact on the teams?
3: it's just what i trust myself enough to analyze so it's really just running backs wide receivers and tight ends I think I do a good job with that. I think I have a a proven track record and an impressive hit rate Uh, quarterbacks. That's something I've just wholly abandoned. I've tried to do a model and I I found really nothing substantially predictive. So all I do for that is I, I look at projected draft capital. I talk to the film experts I trust. And I give a heavy weighting towards the more hyper mobile quarterbacks. And otherwise, I just throw my hands up and I'll do the same for basically every other position except for the flex eligible fantasy positions.
2: Okay, yeah, I I want to think I'm smart enough sometimes to say, oh, well, if uh, the Jaguars draft Evan Neal, it's going to mean this for Trevor Lawrence or this for Travis Etienne. And so often I'm wrong. Um, but I still. I mean, I mean that's
3: that that certainly do. But then the how I rank those players is just by draft capital, which is going to be the most predictive variable at any position. So it's it's like yeah, you know, if the Jaguars take an offensive lineman one hundred one or top five, I, I'm going to slide that into my spreadsheets as saying they drafted a really high quality offensive lineman, things of that nature. But do I know if Evan Neal's, you know, the best offensive lineman in the class? I really don't. I know that our guy, Greg Cassell, said he is. So, you know, I'll, I'll trust draft capital. And I'll trust Greg, who's who's one of the best in the the industry and has been for multiple decades. But uh, outside of that, yeah, I, I I tend not to spend too much time on the other positions.
2: Yeah, I, I listen to John Hansen just about every morning, so I get a, a fair share of uh, – uh, Adam Kaplan and Greg Cosell every week, That's you know, part of the highlight to start my day. With the, uh, so you talked about your models and so did you do, what, did you have a career before fantasy football that involved statistical modeling and things like that? Did, is that how you kind of, is it, was that part of your path or how did you get to where you're like, I just, I'm going to build models and see how this works for me?
3: Uh, no, not really. I was a very mediocre math student all throughout high school and college. Uh, I worked briefly at a hedge fund and I, I really fell in love with that. I really enjoyed that work. Uh, I was supposed to get hired after I graduated college full time, but, uh, the owner of that hedge fund sold the firm maybe like four months before I graduated from college. I tried to get into that industry. My, my father worked on wall street for decades, uh, but no luck. Uh, and then uh i worked a number of odd jobs i was a bartender for a number of years and then uh, i fell back in love in fantasy working a nine to five job I, I didn't love and i really just spent all my time with that and then part-time at pff to full-time at P, uh pff and uh just just a general curiosity with the model stuff i, I don't like subjective i want to know what's predictive and why? So uh, I spent a number of years playing around, watching YouTube videos, how to build the best model um, possible. You know, just simple regression analysis, and then uh, bumping guys up and down for meeting or not meeting various thresholds, or playing against inferior competition, or uh, having a red flag of some sort of nature. Um, and I, I started this three, three or four years ago. And this is definitely, I I felt really good about it last year. And this is definitely the best version of my model yet. Very, very happy about it. Very proud of it. Uh, I think a lot of the weaknesses it has had, namely Justin Jefferson and Amon Ross St. Brown. I I don't know that I missed on those guys, but I was a little low on them. Uh, I finally made a big uh, change to this model where I incorporated Wes Huber's Debbie rankings, which go all the way down to like wide receiver 220, Debbie wide receiver 220, which is crazy and a a testament to all the hard work he's doing. But in the past where it would have penalized a Justin Jefferson, or an Amon Rossine Brown for not leading the team in receiving yards in his final year, instead, uh, passing the torch to a younger player, where my model would have said like, that's a question mark, we don't know how good this player is. Uh, So this is a sort of red flag. Now it's saying, no, 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 no. Jackson Smith and Jigba is the number one Debbie wide receiver. So this isn't really a red flag that Garrett Wilson has never led his team in receiving yards. He's playing with a bunch of future round one players. Uh, So that was something my model missed on over the past few years that I'm confident it it is capturing that sort of nuance this year.
2: So how do you, by incorporating that, how do you determine – or I guess maybe you don't have enough data yet, but is there a spot where it is somebody falling off versus passing the torch? You know, Have you noticed that where you don't have somebody like uh, Garrett Wilson that clearly seems to be very good, but it's somebody that, um, I don't know, who is, who is, I'm trying to think who Pittsburgh's wide receiver was before Jordan Addison got there because that doesn't feel like it would have been a passing the torch situation. seems like the the receiver there just really wasn't that good. And then Jordan Addison came in as a freshman and just stole the show and helped Kenny Pickett light it up.
3: Yeah. So, so in my production, I have something called a teammate score. Uh, So obviously Drake London's teammate score is really high because his quarterback play was really not good. And he, Competed for targets alongside high-end NFL quality wide receivers who were all much older than him. That's that's a very important factor. Uh, Michael Pittman, round two, four years older. Amon Ross, St. Brown. Uh, over the last six weeks, only Cooper Cup scored more fantasy points, um, and he's two years older. Uh, so that really helped him. A, a, a player it it didn't really help, you could say, is Christian Watson, who. I mean, I really like Christian Watson, but uh, he played with Trey Lance, a top three uh, overall draft pick. um, And his quarterback, uh, his his other quarterbacks expected to get drafted, and he didn't really play against any other meaningful target competition. A player really hurt was Sky Moore. You look at Sky Moore's 2021 season, and it was great, okay, it was great, but it wasn't as great as – Dwayne Eskridge's the year before. And you could say, okay, well, Dwayne Eskridge is significantly older. That's that's fine. But then you could also look at Jaden Reed. You can compare, uh, you compare Sky Moore's breakout freshman season to Jaden Reed's breakout freshman season the year earlier. And Jaden Reed was younger. Uh, he played with far worse quarterback play, John Wasink versus Caleb Ellaby, who's the consensus QB eight and Dwayne Eskridge was still competing for targets as a wide receiver at that time. Whereas for sky Moore, he was playing cornerback. So, uh, that's, that's, again, this is just one factor in my model. And it's not a, it's not the biggest one, but it's, it's something my model is going to look at and it, it was an improvement over past years. And so, um, Drake London, you know, crushed the teammate score. And it wasn't as high for a Christian Watson or for a, a Sky Moore.
1: Yeah,
2: I, I love Drake London coming out. I struggle with the um, Mike Evans comparisons just because yeah. Evans was so much bigger. And so I feel like I, I'm, I've been playing around trying to create my first wide receiver model in my head, and it has to do with contested catch and separation at the point of target. Like it's, and it's more to weed out like when is contested catch not really a good thing? Cause I feel like if there's no sep, if, if a wide receiver isn't getting separation, he may still be good at contested catches, but they're just not get, they just don't get open. They're just good at that, uh, a la JJ Ortega Whiteside versus somebody who, you know, somebody um, may get 1.5 or two yards of separation at the point of target because they're a lot shiftier. So they're open, but somebody getting, let's say three quarters of a yard or one yard might be good at contested catches. And that's enough separation to make it matter.
3: Yeah. I, I think I did a good job of shaping the narrative on, on Drake London. I had a tweet that went sort of viral. So, I mean, you look at Drake London's numbers and, and last year he had the third best ever age adjusted yards per game season. Uh, in my database, which goes back to the year 2000. So that's obviously really impressive, but a high percentage of his catches came on screens, which are just basically a proxy for manufactured touches. And then he had 31% of his total catches coming on contested catches. And if you look at the top wide receiver seasons by percentage of catches coming on contested catches, you have Nikhil Harry one, JJ Arcega, whiteside two, Jalen Rieger, three, Drake London, four, Denzel Mims, five. And is that not just a list of the top busts over the past five or so seasons? And then if you go back to a larger sample, you have Laquan Treadwell, you'll have Josh Doxon, you look at the top 30 of the list, it's all busts or players whose names you've never heard of before. And obviously this is a massive red flag. I think it should be. If Drake London doesn't hit, I mean, like this could be like the media, media that, killed the dinosaurs where just everyone's writing off contested catch guys uh but lo and behold my model said Drake London was the number one wide receiver in the class by hit by the production model not the athleticism model or by the com- combined models I'm still not sure yet um but yeah so so this is tricky and and he has a damning red flag but but every wide receiver in this class has a damning red flag and I'll say this I watched the tape. I loved the tape. He didn't get separation like a Jamison Williams, of course. He always had a cornerback within touching distance of him, but he was amazing at maneuvering his body to position himself so that he has you know, 10 yards of space with nothing else in between him and the, the cornerback draped on his back shoulder or he has the sideline and he can make some ridiculous catches. He had the best contested catch rate, which is contested catches versus contested targets. You could argue he's turning 50-50 balls into 70-30 balls, which is crazy. But, yeah, the separation concerns, and he didn't help himself with that narrative by avoiding the 40-yard dash this pro day. Um, but we'll get into these wide receivers, and they all have, unfortunately, I think, really scary red flags in sort of proportional degree to how much my model liked them.
2: So with the so many uh, wide receivers and, and, I guess, players in general, not running the three cone did that Mm -hmm. impact your model significantly
3: uh yeah it it only hurt the smaller guys it only hurt the smaller guys the three cone is is only really predictive for the smaller guys at both running back and wide receiver some of those running backs uh they they ran the three cone uh tyler goodson was a running back who crushed the three cone and, and skyrocketed up uh in my rankings i mean still very very low tier uh, he was like above like Brian Kobach and, you know, names like that. Uh, Brian Robinson, a sub five percentile three cone. Damian Pierce, one of the worst three cones ever. Uh, so th- those were concerning. Uh, but yeah, it's really only the smaller uh, by height for, for wide receivers and smaller by weight running backs where that's a predictive variable.
2: Is that generally because we expect bigger backs to – I guess, move the pile. So
3: yeah, it's, it it's just not as, important. as yeah. I mean like a Ramondre Stevenson, really bad 40, really impressive three cone. And you sort of see that on tape. Um, but typically, yeah, it's just, they're they're not being used in the same way as like a James cook is going to be used as like a James white feel Riddick type. Uh, Christian McCaffrey will be used. A Reggie Bush will be used. And so Tyler Goodson, his athletic profile kind of fits that mold, which is which is a little exciting, but it also caps his upside. So my model's not really high on um, smaller, lighter, skinnier backs anyway.
1: So it seemed like last year um, quarterback was the big position going into the draft. And this year we have an interesting kind of group of quarterbacks. But if we were to line up 20 fantasy analysts, we'd probably all have a different order for our top five. Was there – Anyone that surprised you of these kind of quarterbacks you put through the model, anyone that you have high hopes for now? Uh, yeah,
3: again, I I don't have a model for quarterback. I, I've, I've tried to build one. I just haven't found anything predictive. So what I do with the quarterback position is I really just go off of projected draft capital. I'll talk to the top film experts at my site and uh, I'll give a heavy weighting towards hypermobile quarterbacks. So I like Malik Willis. I think he's, uh a pluser version of Jalen Hurts coming out um so wherever you took Jalen Hurts I'd have him a little bit higher but uh yeah really not too high in this quarterback class as a whole Mm -hmm. I think QB2 I have Sam Howell just because uh, you could argue similar rushing upside to Desmond Ritter Ritter of course has the more impressive 40 but uh uh Ritter's best season by rushing fantasy points per game is similar to Howell's best season by rushing fantasy points per game I really just talking to film experts they're like Ritter's maybe the sharpest quarterback in the class uh before the ball is thrown like best quarterback in the class and then once the ball is thrown you kind of hate him because he's he's hyper inaccurate so they really like Sam Howell I have Howell two then I have um Ritter three then I have Pickett four but they're all in this close three quarterback tier uh just because pick it has the best expected draft capital but not much rushing upside uh but really I, I I really didn't spend too much time on quarterback so if I'm if I'm dead wrong on that that's yeah that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me
1: well I'm not, not a great I'm year to be a super flex <laughs> not a great year to have the top pick in super flex if you have no quarterbacks yeah so
2: when you, you you've been you've worked on this model now for like this is the third year or fourth year you said. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are the changes that like how is there been significant changes? Are you at the tweaking point? How do you go back yeah, I'm- for I guess for aspiring guys, how do you go back and critique your own model um, to make
3: it better? Yeah. So it just naturally gets better every year because you have a a larger, more robust sample. And then I'll always spend work trying to look back over misses and hits. Um, Luckily, I don't think there was any miss last year. I I had Ramondre over Trey Sermon. And then I, I, like a coward, I caved to expected draft capital and uh, I'll just not make that same mistake again. I'm on Ross St. Brown. I think I was a little too low on him. And I told you about the change I made there, but in years past, uh, looking back at some of my biggest misses, uh, Caleb Wilson, tight end out of UCLA. Uh, the question now is, is Greg Dulcich. Does my model have a bias, uh, in favor of Chip Kelly tight ends? Maybe that's just a question I'm asking. I haven't made any changes there. It, it always had a bias in favor of Mike Leach, running backs, Booby Williams one year I was very high on. Uh mm-hmm. and so I, I've learned to just make a manual adjustment against Mike Leach running backs. Um and just yeah I guess just just several things like that being being aware of and and, and trying to look back at, at misses and see oh uh, Tyler Johnson was the other one. And so the concern with him the production model loved him and then he opted out of every event at the combine in his pro day. And so I manually adjusted him downwards. I viewed that as a red flag indicative of bottom 33rd percentile athleticism. And so I have a question now is like, do I do the same thing with Drake London? I mean, he, he said he was only 95% healthy. He was also every mock draft had him top 15. So it's like he had nothing to gain and a lot to lose. Do I do the same thing there? And, and I just don't know. I I've, I have, I've had my rankings set in stone for the past 48 hours, minus my top three wide receivers. And I've just gone back and forth and back and forth. Garrett Wilson's the safest, but my production model liked him the least of the top three. Uh, Jamison Williams has red flags. Uh, Drake London has red flags, but my model liked him the most. And it's just, uh, it's something I've just been waffling on, and it, you know, I, I don't want to give a, a tie. I feel like that's, you know, the coward's way out. But uh, it's just tricky. It, it's because I, I make these models to be more objective, and then there's this yeah. influx of subjectivity given the contested catch stuff. He didn't participate at the combine. Neither did Jamison Williams.
1: Um, and it's just, it's just tricky. It feels like there's so many of these kind of top wide receivers that are coming back from big injuries this year too which makes it difficult. It's quite a few of them coming off of torn ACLs. London have the ankle that, that mm-hmm. was messed up. So that it's hard to know if that plays into some of their decisions about testing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, George Pickens, like he had by my data, a brutal combine, uh, really low BMI, but how much is that due to the injury? John Mechie, ACL, Jameson Williams, ACL, Drake, London, the ankle, um, no, there was another guy too. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. Garrett Prince, um, uh, apparently his pro day was abhorrent because he shouldn't have tested. Same thing for Justin Ross. Apparently he didn't train at all because he fit, literally couldn't.
1: And so oh, yeah.
3: yeah, I like the objective, and then here's a bunch of subjective fa- factors murky. I bet
1: Kyron I mean, Williams wishes he hadn't attested at the combine too. Yeah,
3: yeah, He's another one. David Bell. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, Where if Drake have, London uh, gets drafted by the Buccaneers, you can go ahead and drop him down your rankings because that's that's part of what happened to Tyler Johnson. You're not going to <laughs> pass Godwin and Evans.
2: Mm-hmm. Where did you have Bell at before um, his athletic testing? How did you feel about him? How'd your how'd your production model like him?
1: Yeah, I was
3: I was really surprised he ranked as low as he did. He ranked wide receiver ten. Oh, I split my my wide receiver model up into power five versus non-power five. So within the power five, wide receiver 10, uh, which means probably wide receiver 10 overall. But I expected him to, to rank a lot higher. You know, you look at his numbers and uh, uh, they, they're pretty obscene. He ranks sixth best since 2000 in career yards per game, second in career receptions per game. But it was a lot of the uh, sort of secondary and, and, and tertiary stuff that, that pushed him down uh, and you dig, di- you dig deeper. You, you can see, you know, he was below average in separation rate every year and, and things of that nature. I, don't, I he's a tricky one. I, I've had film experts I trust say he's a Keenan Allen clone and it's like, Whoa, that's, that's crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, I'll probably be lower on him than, than consensus.
2: Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, my ohio state bias but i just never really was a big fan of, of him at purdue i felt like he could do some things okay but he just it, it he didn't really have competition for it is it, kind of i guess he didn't have he that would that be a low teammate score or a high teammate score if didn't uh have it would be a low one
3: because uh, Rondale Moore was rarely healthy oh, in those two seasons.
1: Him. That's right. Uh, I'll
3: also I'll also look at uh, track records of various head coaches and offensive coordinators, and and so Jeff Brom, um, you know Rondale Moore. Everyone was in love with Rondale Moore. Is he a bust? I think it's too early to to lean any one way in particular. Um, but the wide receiver before that that everyone loved was Taewon Taylor, uh, another Jeff Brom wide receiver one. And so that's, that's just a question I'll raise at this point. Uh, it was a question that I thought was a little more substantial with Rashad White, whose offensive coordinators RB1 has always smashed. Um, but that's just another thing I look at and it didn't factor into his ranking, but it's, it's just a question.
1: You peaked in so, a with
2: of, Rashad White. <laughs> yeah. say so Speaking of Rashad White, I feel like, you know, he, he only had the one real year of productivity in, in college football, but he's a re- really good pass catcher. But is it, was that a, I didn't watch a lot of Pac-12, Pac-10 football. I forget Pac-whatever, what their number is now. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of college football. Um So was it a function of like a Mike Leach offense where the guy just gets the running back a lot of receptions, Or is it is that going to be something that translates to the NFL that he's going to be whether it's a good handcuff because he can catch the ball and he's got the size to run it? Or is he a legitimate threat to to be a starting running back?
3: Yeah, so you look at Zach Hill's RB1 and six seasons as a college offensive coordinator. Jeremy McNichols' numbers in 2016 were far better than anything Rashad White did. Alexander Madison, the same thing, comparable to George Halani in 2019. And uh, didn't see a ton of volume, uh, but hyper-efficient. He was the most efficient of any of those running backs. Uh, my I personally have a bias in favor of bell cow running backs. I want highest end running backs who both get a lot of carries and get a lot of targets. And if you're not one of those, I don't want to waste draft capital gambling on you. So I, I really go all the way at the top with the running back position or, or, or I I'm not touching you. And it's interesting. My model sort of has the same bias. So what it did like with Rashad white was hyper elite, receiving efficiency, uh really strong receiving productivity. Um and he also had a fantastic combine to back it up. So that's gonna be my RB4. Um could I miss on him? Sure. But I, I, I do like his bell Cow website.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to have a bias for those kind of backs myself. I just it just stands to reason the more opportunity you have uh, the more opportunity you have to score points for fantasy. so
4: The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big two. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right, a bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million of dollars in total prizes in their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL 21 and up, restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or 1-800-426-2537. In Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona or 1-800-522-4700. In Colorado and New Hampshire, 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in in Connecticut. 1 800 bets off in Indiana, 1 877 770 stop, or 1 877 770 7867. 8778 hope, New York, or text hope ny467389 in New York. Visit OPGR.org in Oregon. Call or text TN Redline 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee or 1 800 532 3500 in Virginia. 21 and up, 18 and up in New Hampshire or Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, and Los Angeles, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, and Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia. West Virginia, Wyoming. Only minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for details.
2: Um so as we look at uh your model, like which players stand to get or have the biggest be most let me say that all in English now. <laughs> which players coming in ha- have the the most opportunity to be impacted by draft capital whether positive or negative are there anybody that any players that jump out to where you say well if this player goes early they're going to move way up or if this player goes late they're going to drop way down
3: uh yeah i mean i i'd say that's that's basically every player the the most predictive variable is always going to be Draft capital. You know, a team takes you in round one, they're now invested in your success. So you're going to get more excuses, you're going to get more touches, uh, more opportunities to succeed because they want you to succeed. They don't want to look foolish. Um, It's especially important at the running back position. Uh, Landing spot also matters more at the running back position than the others. Uh, You know, I mean, Brees Hall's the man, but like, what if this would never happen? But what if Pittsburgh drafts him? Yeah, then you know, he's, he's going to plummet down my rankings as he should. Um, But yeah, that's, that's really every player. Uh, I'm most excited about Justin Ross. Uh, You just look at the production profile and you sort of excuse the 2022 season due to uh, the fact that he had a broken bone in his foot for every single game he played. He didn't really practice at all in the off season. He had bottom five quarterback play and, you look at the production profile and it's incredible, but you have to factor in it's low end day three projected draft capital, massive injury, red flags. Um, George Pickens is another one. There's, there's weird rumors coming around uh, out about character concerns and he didn't help himself. The recent accident where he was a passenger in a car and the driver was arrested. This was like two days ago. Uh, you know, my model really liked him. Uh, Greg Cassell said, this is the best wide receiver in the class. And yet he's probably going to be drafted round three. And so really it it, it matters a ton to every single guy. So where,
2: what's sort of the range? Like if you're, if, if a, a player is expected to go, let's say first 10 picks of round two, and they don't go until the last 10 picks of round three, is that a big enough impact to swing their,
3: swing them in your model? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a massive gap. I think uh, I think you could just rank players based on where they're drafted in the NFL draft, and that's like a pretty good list. You know, um, it's really hard to beat the NFL. It's really hard to beat the NFL draft. I try to. I like to think. Uh, I like to hope maybe I can, but um, it's it's tough. Um, yeah, uh, a round one to round three swing is, is massive. Even, you know, a, a top 15 to, to bottom five in the first round swing is, is pretty big. A lot of people are going to just gravitate towards whichever wide receiver ends up in green Bay or Kansas city. But am I going to put this guy who was drafted as the wide receiver five ahead of the wide receiver two? I, I probably wouldn't do that.
2: Do you think that we need to adjust our draft capital impressions for running backs specifically since there has been such a shift towards devaluation? Like we, we rarely over the past few years, we have very few RB1s, um, or first-round running backs, but then they start to hit in second and third. So should we start to view, you know, second round maybe to mid-third the way we used to view round one running backs and and kind of shift it back so that it, you know, early day three running backs are now should be viewed maybe the, you know, round four and five viewed like we used to view round three. Should we be making that adjustment and how we look at running backs and what their potential looks like?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's fairly intuitive. I, I think, that's probably right. still you would, you would just rank within the class uh, by the order in which they were drafted. And there's something to be said for, you know, a first round pick makes more money to get the fifth year. And uh, so, so another year in the same team and the same scheme with the the team that's, that's invested in them, that, that drafted them, that likes them. Uh, But yeah, I think that's, I think that's mostly right.
2: Well, if, so let's add wide receivers in there then. So if we have seven wide receivers going the first round this year and Brees Hall is the first running back off the board early second round, do we still move Brees Hall up to the first pick in our fantasy football rookie drafts, our dynasty rookie drafts? because he's a running back? Do we move him third or fourth behind the wide receivers?
3: Right. Yeah, I I, uh, I probably wouldn't spend too much time – Uh, waiting running backs versus wide receivers for exactly that reason. I think that's, that's a a good point. Uh, And especially this year, you know, all these wide receivers demanding more money, demanding trades uh, everyone's saying it's going to push up uh, round two talents into round one. So, so yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense.
1: is there anyone who you know maybe didn't have a good offseason, good combine that your model really liked that you think people are sleeping on
3: um yeah uh so running backs I you know I I I was talking to one of you before the show started I have Isaiah spillers my RB7 it's just the production model didn't love him the athleticism model didn't love him. And then I have it, uh, Brian Robinson, Rashad white, Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, and really none of those guys had good combines or pro days. Uh, Damian Pierce had one of the worst three cones ever. Brian Robinson sub five percentile three cone. Uh, it doesn't really matter as much at their size, but, uh, I, I feel good about it. Just, but that's also a testament to, this is a, a fairly gross running back class. Um, yeah.
2: So do you not we're starting to hear more of a narrative that it's it, there's no high end talent, but it's really deep. So are you not buying that narrative or do you I just buy don't... it as in it's really deep as in it's going to provide a lot of backups for multiple years?
3: Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's not good, but it's deep. It's like, okay, I don't care about deep. I care about, is it good or not? It's like, what is, what is like a James White caliber running back worth in fantasy, especially dynasty? And it's like basically nothing. So again, my strategy at the position is, is I want high bow cow running backs. I was loading up on Javante Williams and Najee Harris in rookie drafts last year. Um, but, uh, so I'll, I'll like the top two running backs in this class but then i'm probably not wasting any draft capital trying to chase the other guys like I, I have brian robinson's my rb3 but i view him as alexander madison 2.0 and what's alexander madison worth in dynasty leagues practically nothing you know so um i will take the top two and then otherwise i'll, I'll just load up on wide receivers and, and maybe
4: a Trey mcbride here or there So based on your model, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, so I apologize about this. Uh, Based on your model, I, I know that you like those two running backs. We were talking a little bit before the show about some of your wide receivers as well. Where do you kind of think the cutoff is then? Because we just talked about we don't think the class is deep. It's more kind of high end. I know some people have said like right around that two, 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 three, in just a normal, not super flex, just your straight up 1QB Dynasty League. That's kind of where maybe you want to start pivoting and see if you can trade those picks. Is that kind of where you would go as well as it earlier on? Is it in the back end of the first round?
3: Uh, it's probably like right around like 202 somewhere around there, assuming everyone makes the perfect pick. Um, maybe, you know, John Moore, then uh, John Mechie, then Sky Moore, then Alec Pierce goes, and then, you know, Jalen Tolbert, like right around there, uh, maybe right a pick before Jalen Tur- Tolbert or a pick after, depending on, on how you feel about him. Assuming Trey McBride already goes and the top two running backs go and Malik Willis goes.
4: Awesome. All right.
2: So I've been warming up to John Mechie. I kind of view him as like his ceiling as peak slot juju. Does that sound <laughs> reasonable?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I like him. There were, there were some of these guys where uh my model liked a little bit more than I had anticipated. Um, John Mechie wide receiver nine, uh, yeah, maybe maybe I might even like him more than my model did, but it's like uh, I fell in love with him as I was writing it up. Like it, it was just very easy for me to make the bull case argument for him. Teammate score had a really high-end teammate score. Uh, in 2020, when Waddle, Smith, and Mechie were all healthy, he held his own. He had 72% as many yards as Devonta Smith on 80% as many routes run, and on only 38% as many targets. And he had a stress fracture in his shin for 30% of that season. He sat out of practice the entire time. The following season, he was not yet 100% healthy. And the data backs that up. Through the first five games, he averaged 55 yards per game. And then across the final eight, 108.4 yards per game. And he was competing against Jamison Williams, who's the top wide receiver for many of these uh, mock drafters and uh, you look at the Alabama track record of receivers to have multiple seasons with 900 receiving yards and every single one went in round one. So I think Mechie's is interesting. If, if only for that reason,
4: there was a, another wide receiver we talked about before the show that uh, you said was kind of surprising that he was good in your model. And that was Alec Pierce. Uh, you said you watched a little bit of him, and then you were like, okay, I, I kind of like him as well. He uh, ranked out and just film. I do film grades. I don't do a lot of analytic stuff mostly because I don't understand that. If you ask me a math question, two plus two is six. I'm just horrible with it. So I try to learn the analytic side of stuff, but it, it hasn't really worked out for me. I think he's a really good. You, you mentioned before, obviously we weren't recording that he's his um, athleticism stood out. I think he's a really good route runner as well. Where is he at in your model and what kind of draft capital would he have to secure to kind of stay there? Because there's a lot of talk that some NFL teams like him, but that he could fall some in the draft.
3: Yeah. So, so to clarify the athleticism model, my custom stats, sports score, which looks only at the most predictive athletic measurables uh, defined within positions by various archetypes uh, said he was a, a hyper freak athlete, really liked him there. The production model did not like him. And the reason it did not like him was because he had supposedly a fringe round one, early round two quarterback, which implies really good quarterback play. Although we both know, like I did not see that, uh, and minimal target competition. He had Josiah Deguara early on in his career, and then nothing beyond that. And his best season wasn't even better than Khalil Lewis's best season in Desmond Ritter's freshman season. Who's Khalil Lewis? I have no idea. And so it was a number of things where outside of the athleticism, my model did not like him. And then I watched the tape and I, I'm not a tape guy. I love the tape. He has unreal burst, unreal get off the line very fast. He was getting Jameson Williams type cushions and he was beating it. He was, he was beating it. And then generating two steps of separation and his, his short uh, underneath stuff is incredible. Massive separation. And I don't know why they didn't just keep doing that because he was always open. He was always catching, catching it. He was always convert converting first downs or coming close to the sticks. And he just didn't have impressive numbers, but I think he really should have. And part of that too, is, you know, some of the throws Desmond Ritter was making were awful three yards, five yards off of uh, where it otherwise should be drawing him back into coverage and so he he really impressed me. I really liked his his tape. Uh I, I'm gonna probably stay true to my combined models with him, but uh I I I did really like him and I wouldn't be shocked if he goes early round two.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm probably the biggest fan of Ritter on this podcast. And I, I've said consistently I think he he's probably I think he should be a round two pick, and he's likely a backup quarterback in the NFL. But I did a, a like film thing on him for our YouTube channel. And like some of the highlights that I put on there was literally like Alec Pierce's wide open. And Desmond Ritter threw it like five yards behind him that he had to stop, turn around, go back and get the ball. And then he was tackled for what should have been like an easy 60 yard touchdown. And that was kind of my he just seems to like project it when it's going deep. He doesn't really throw it like you would see a Malik Willis throw. He doesn't really have that quite that quite of a gun. So, yeah, it definitely hurt Alec Pierce. I'm excited to see what what happens with him.
2: So a little little silly season breaking news here. Aaron Nagler is reporting that the Packers have engaged in trade talks with the Raiders for Darren Waller.
3: Wow, that'd be awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be I'd love it because I'm a huge Foster Moreau guy, and I don't think that uh, I think Moreau fits with Devontae Adams a lot better than what Waller does. Now Moreau. <laughs> Still probably a tight end ten range, but uh, it'd be good for Waller. It'd be good for uh, uh, Rogers certainly, not Amari
1: it's Rogers. But amusing yeah. that they couldn't get themselves together though. If since Adams if went they were from the to the Raiders, them, yeah. it's like, oh, maybe we didn't ask for the right trade compensation. I mean, I'd, I'd
4: love, I'd love for them to go get Debo, but I don't know if that's possible. So, Dennis, Matt, anything you guys, anything else you guys left uh, have left for Scott, so we can let him get out of here. So
2: the, the only question I have left is, I was reading through your fantasy or your combine winners and losers article from uh, after the combine, and there, the, by and large, other than Watson and Sky Moore, um, a lot of the receivers you you have. Uh, in the loser category, that they didn't do themselves any favors. Amongst the wide receivers and the running backs as well, are there any of the people that uh, since the combine that kind of came out on the the poor end of your uh, assessment there, are they starting to work their way back up? Uh, Is anybody making strides to kind of get back into the, you know, where they were pre-combine?
3: I'll say – I'm, I'm maybe this isn't a direct answer to your question. I think I my attention trailed off at the end of it, but uh, Isaiah Weston was I someone. That out
2: of my question.
3: No, no, I'm sorry. I, I was thinking <laughs> something else. Uh, Isaiah Weston uh, was someone I hadn't heard at all about, and then he had a. He's very old, but he had a really great, and he's very small school, but he had a really impressive combine, one of the best combines in in recent memory. Not quite on Christian Watson's level but a really impressive combine. And, you know, the production model didn't love him, but some of his stats were really interesting. He had over 1,000 receiving yards and fewer than 45 receptions in 2019. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is one of only three other wide receivers uh, to, to, ha- uh, to come away with with uh, marks like that on uh, a, such a small amount of catches. And then last year, 883 yards, only 37 receptions. And so he ranks since 2014, seventh best of over 1,000 qualifiers in career yards per target average. Only Jalen Waddle, CeeDee Lamb, Jamar Chase, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jamison Williams, Marquise Brown, and Devonta Smith ranked above him. And so I, I, I was, it, it piqued my curiosity. I was like, could this guy be my new... Uh, Jacob Harris, who I really liked last year, just based solely on his athletic profile, and then I hadn't heard a single word about him. And then Jeff Legwold, who is supposedly one of the most accurate uh, mock draft guys, had him as his one hundredth ranked player. So uh, he's someone who who popped back up on my radar. Um, but what was your your actual question? Maybe I can answer that.
2: Well, I was just more, you had like guys like Garrett Wilson and Drake London kind of on the loser side of it. And I was wondering, have any of the guys started to kind of make their way back for you? Uh, You know, are they getting some victories between the combine and now?
3: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, all those guys smashed my production model uh, in my production model. So, you know, it was concerning, but then again, you know, like those were all the top guys. So, it's tricky. What I do say in the the article and in another one called how important is athleticism is that athleticism in general is very overrated and it's extremely overrated at the wide receiver position. It's underrated at the tight end position, but overrated at the wide receiver position. and It's extra, especially overrated for slot wide receivers. So maybe that's a way for David Bell to make up some ground, but yeah, really when, when doing these rankings, I kind of uh, didn't didn't weight athleticism as much as maybe I typically do, just because all these guys really underwhelmed for um, for some of them too. You can you like George Pickens, you can argue that was injury related, um, and so it didn't penalize him as much. But yeah, again, it's it's also a very skinny class. I said it was the skinniest class ever. It was also the fastest class, and just maybe the NFL is trending in that direction. So earlier I would I would list very low BMI is a red flag. And I think that's right to do. So uh, it, you get into some trouble with some physical cornerbacks in press coverage, or they can bully you uh, when you're close to the sideline. But the, this class is going to be a, a great test for that because there's a lot of skinny guys in this class.
2: Yeah. So what? It's 25 BMI is kind of the cutoff, right?
3: I mean, the, the lower you go, the, the worrier, uh, the, the, Bigger of a red flag it gets. I mean, uh, Jamison Williams has a, and again, that could be due to training issues. Uh, Jamison Williams has a lower BMI than Devonta Smith, and we spent all last offseason nitpicking Devonta Smith, and this is even worse than that. So, I mean, lo- look at the guys who are drafted at a sub 23.0 BMI, and it's like Todd Pinkston and no one else. So, uh, it's or uh, JJ Nelson. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's concerning.
2: So do you think though, that there's a case to be made if a lot of these guys that are the in the 24s, that maybe there's a case to be made for lower in the threshold or is that something we just want to say, well, it happens.
3: I mean, well, the, I think twenty twenty two is going to be a great year. Again, the more data you have, the more predictive you're going to be. And you know, Devonta Smith, I, I think will easily crack a thousand yards. And you know, maybe one of these other guys does too. And uh, then, then it seems like less of a red flag. And especially if you weight it more heavily in recent seasons, because again, maybe the NFL is is
4: moving closer in that in that direction.
2: Fair enough. Well, S-
4: well Scott, we appreciate you taking almost an hour out of your day to, to come talk with us and and educate us on some of these rookies. You guys can follow Scott at Scott Barrett DFB on Twitter. He is with fantasy points, who is in my opinion, one of the better sites um, around Scott, anything you want to tell our listeners, anything you've got in the works that we can look out for.
3: Yeah. If you're just interested in, in my draft guide and all the work that goes into it, you can check my pin tweet uh, at Scott Barrett DFB. It's basically like a draft guide. And so If you're watching the draft and your team drafts Taequann Thornton round three, you're like, who's that? You can pull up my wide receiver article. You can take a look at at what I wrote if I was high on him or low on him and why, what's to like, what a potential red flag might be. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for having me, guys. This was a blast.
4: Absolutely. I really
2: appreciate it. Now I have to watch you in the fantasy league draft and see you. See where, where your uh, picks are. See if I want to go get some.
0: <laughs> Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came like out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump the lead. Golly! Oh, they tackle him in the corner. Who can make a play? I can't! Who can make a play?